Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Uh, continuing the series, Meaningless, and really it's all about the search for purpose and meaning in life. And really this is a good final year message. Uh, it's a good challenge message this morning. And there's so much in this chapter that I actually have to make it a two-part message. So you have to come back tonight for the classes to get the rest of it. We're going to have a combined class in the Thrive Center in the back for our men and women tonight. So I encourage you to be back tonight because there's several principles I want to unlock, uh, not just this morning, but also tonight. So uh, to get the whole uh, brunt of the message, please be in your place tonight at five o'clock. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter number seven. We're going to read this in just a minute. How many ever feel discouraged, um, maybe a little anxious during winter? Anybody? Yeah, especially when it's gloomy. Uh, I realized and I, I discovered that it is a scientific thing. Um, a lot of times, you know, people are more discouraged, more depressed, suffer through anxiety and different things like that when there's a lot of gray days, a lot of gloomy days out there. And uh, it's a scientific, uh, scientifically proven thing because uh, the sun obviously produces vitamin D and it uh, produces that serotonin, I believe it is, uh, which helps our mood. So when you have a mood problem, it might be a heart issue, but it might just be a meteoro meteorological issue, whatever that word is. So understand that. But the point I'm making today with all of this is, is the fact that I know it's a struggle sometimes to just get out of bed during the winter because the days are shorter. Uh, it's gloomy outside. When it's sunny, uh, it feels like you want to do things. You have more joy. You have more happiness. Well, in a sense, life under the sun, life apart from Jesus, is very gloomy very depressing, very discouraging. And as we've seen in this study so far, Solomon has been searching for meaning, for significance, and everything that he searched for has only left his heart more unsatisfied, more find, or trying to find meaning and significance in life. But finally, as we come to the second half of Ecclesiastes and as we get to chapter 7, it's like he peeks his head above the clouds and he starts understanding what it means to live in the presence of God. So life lived in the presence of the sun, S-O-N and S-U-N, produces joy, produces happiness, produces longing. So let's go ahead and stand, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to be in the first several verses this morning. And again, tonight we're going to finish all of this up, wrap it all up, and look at the whole chapter. But follow along with me, if you would. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now, as you look at some of these principles that Solomon unfolds for us this morning, they're very counterintuitive, very paradoxical. They, they really don't seem to go together, and we're going to unpack that here in just a minute. So he's basically saying, uh, verse number one, we're going to look at this in just a minute, um, on the surface, okay, it's better to die than to be born, but we're going we're gonna to unlock that. And then in verse number two, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Again, it doesn't seem to make sense in our understanding, but we have to see what Solomon is trying to say. For the end of all men and the living will lay to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. 
For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is laughter of a fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Some of you are probably like, yeah, the end of the message is much better than the beginning of the message. It's not what he's saying here. Verse number nine, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense. And money is the defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God also has set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. And God, I do pray that you be with the many people in our church that are struggling with sickness. I pray that you'd uh, help them to get over this and get back on their feet. And I pray that you'd just be with our church as we finish out this year, 2019. And I know it's been a, a difficult year for some, a very challenging year. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we, as we look at a couple of principles this morning and even finish up tonight. Lord, I think this is a perfect message to close out this year. And as we get into next week and Vision Sunday, and uh, again, just unpacking what, what I believe you've given us for 2020. God, I pray that you'd help us to learn what we need to learn from this passage this morning. And God, I pray that you'd help us, even as we close out this year, to try to make a commitment in our heart that 2020, no matter what has happened in 2019, 2020 is going to be a better year for us spiritually because we're going to try to trust you more. We're going to try to obey you more, try to do what you've called us to do. And I pray that you'd help us as we look at your word and this challenge from Solomon as he's trying to understand this path towards wisdom, that it is better when you're seeking God. And God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, again, Solomon has searched for significance and meaning in everything. As we've looked at, he searched for it in money and sex and pleasure, all kinds of things, even in wisdom. But everything that he searched for, he found it frivolous. He found it meaningless. And now in chapter 7, he goes back to wisdom, but he's trying to give us a godly sense of wisdom. And really, he's on a road to wisdom. You ever been on a road and you've taken the wrong turn? Don't you love it when that happens? It's happened to me many times, but I think most of us are testimony to the fact that we all found our way back to the course we were supposed to go, right? Because we're here today. Uh, sometimes when we take a wrong path, it takes us a little bit longer than we intended it to take. Sometimes we miss out on what we were wanting to do because we took a wrong path. Solomon, most of his life, has been on a wrong path, a wrong journey. And he was, again, searching and searching and searching. But everything he was searching for did not leave him satisfied. It left him more unsatisfied. And finally, he turns back to wisdom. And in this chapter, even though it seems paradoxical, even though it doesn't seem to make sense, he gives us some timely advice and some timely wisdom. And I like how one preacher summarizes chapter 7. He says this, wisdom clarifies my priorities, stabilizes my heart, and sustains my pace. 
Godly wisdom is important, church. It's imperative. And as we close out 2019 and look forward to 2020, we must be a congregation, we must be a group of believers that are following after godly wisdom instead of the foolishness of men. Now, wisdom is simply God's perspective or God's view. It's a combination of three things, knowledge, insight, and understanding. Knowledge is knowing what is right. Inside is seeing how truth impacts your circumstances. And understanding is basically putting to truth and insight into action. The combination of these three is what leads to that breakthrough moment, that light bulb in a sense, that, oh, I get it. Finally, I get what God is trying to give us. Wisdom is God's good sense. It's, it's what helps us make sense of life if we had an understanding of God's mind and today, we actually do have an understanding of God's mind because he's given us his word. And if we follow his word, if we listen to the principles that are in his word, we can have the life that God intended all of us to have. But I want you to understand something. Wisdom runs counterintuitive to our understanding, godly wisdom. It goes against our human understanding. And a word of warning, wisdom, godly wisdom, will often correct you. So as we unpack this this morning, there's some questions I want to ask us, and really, you're going to have to answer them yourself. If godly wisdom often corrects us, are we willing to be corrected? Does anyone in here have it all figured out? I don't think any of us does. No one in here has it figured out. I think sometimes we think we have it figured out. But if we truly want to follow after God and, and follow after his wisdom, then we have to learn to be corrected. Every parent in here has had to correct their child at one time or another, right? Your children love it when they're corrected, right, kids? Yes, you love it. No, you hate it. You can't stand it. Sometimes as adults, we're often corrected in, in job situations or whatever, and, and we love it. No, we, we can't stand it. But if we want what's best for our life, what God wants for us in our lives, then we have to be willing to be corrected by God. And sometimes when we study his word, his word corrects us. Because as I've said before, it's very easier for us to follow the principles that we like, right? But what about the principles we don't like? What about the things that we think should be left out? We don't follow those things, but God's word is all of it supposed to be followed, not just some of it. So the question, the deep question we must ask ourselves as we study this chapter and this passage going forward, am I reprovable? Am I teachable? Does God have the right to show me that I'm wrong? And you have to put yourself in this equation. Does God have the right to adjust your line of thinking? Can he correct you? Or do you resist the reproof and rebuke from God's word? I want you to listen to this. If the God that you serve always agrees with you, then you probably conform God into your own image. Instead of being conformed to his image. And we have to look at our lives. Are we trying to make God bend to our will? Are we allowing ourselves to bend to his will? To submit to his will? And Solomon, in all his wisdom, again, has been on this wrong path, and finally he's figuring out that everything he was searching for was fruitless, was pointless, was meaningless. Is there any meaning in this life? And really, if you want to put this study in a brief synopsis, 
It's basically this. Anyone and anything can be broken, (laughs) can be taken, and forever changed in an instant. Knowing this leaves us a few options. First, you can get bitter. When you lose who or what you enjoyed. Second thing is this. You enjoy nothing so that no one can ever hurt you. And the third thing is this. You can enjoy what you have for as long as you have it. And when it's gone, learn to be grateful for what God gave you. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. It's very difficult for us in our human mind and our human understanding to be grateful for what we have when we have it. Because we all think we should have it for a lot longer than what we have. It's going more than just death. But chapter 7 is answering some of the questions that we asked last week in chapter 6 or a couple weeks ago. Basically finding meaning for life. Chapter 7 is kind of a reflective chapter. As I kind of picture Solomon just kind of sitting down and, and talking to us. And then he's giving us all these principles and they don't seem to all match up. And then it's like, you know, he, he goes on one path and then he, he, his mind gets sidetracked. And okay, another thing and another thing and another thing. He's trying to give us as much as he can. I like how David Jeremiah puts it. He says, the Lord shows us that some of the medicine that tastes the worst has the best cure. In these verses, Solomon is going to goad us into thinking outside of the box. And again, what we're trying to unpack this morning is this. Wisdom clarifies my priorities, stabilizes my heart, and sustains my faith, or my pace. And two things we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at the the rest of them tonight. But the first thing is this, verse number one, wisdom sees further. Wisdom sees further. Further. There are a lot of ways in which we can see further or farther. I think one way in which we can see farther is just clarity. If you've ever been outside on a foggy day, you can't see very far, can you? You can only see just a little bit of in front of you. But if it's clear, you can see a lot farther down the road. Wisdom is what helps us gain clarity and understanding in this life. I think a vantage point helps as well. You know, if you have a low vantage point, you can't often see a lot of what's in front of you. Or if you have a lot of trees in front of you or, or buildings in front of you or people in front of you, you can't often see what's in front of you, so you have to get a better vantage point. God's word, God's wisdom gives us that vantage point. But I want you to look at verse number one because some of these principles, starting in verse number one, seem so counterintuitive. They seem so completely, like, honestly, here's what it seems like to me. It seems like Solomon is going senile. I'm just being honest. It seems like Solomon is going senile because some of the principles that he's saying, it's like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all what he's saying. But we have to listen and understand his heart in the matter. Verse number one, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, this isn't necessarily that bad. What he's basically saying is character is better than your cologne. (laughs) Character is better than your cologne. Uh, How many have cologne, perfume, whatever, uh, body spray that you use at times? Yeah, we use that because we're trying to smell better. But I think all of us know that it doesn't last, right? Because you have to spray more. And then you have to spray more. And then eventually, you know, you go outside and you're working or you're playing and then you start stinking. It's just a horrible thing. You know, I think of some of these commercials and it's completely off track, but you know, some of these commercials on TV, you know, these perfume and and cologne ads and stuff like that, it makes it appear like if you just spray this, people are just going to be all over you. They're going to be attracted to you. You know, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Honestly, it, it, it doesn't work. I mean, I don't think my wife is just ever like, oh, I, I just want to be around you all the time because of that spray, that, that cologne that you were wearing. I don't think that was it at all. 
But what Solomon is saying here, it's really, it's interesting. It's a play on words in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for name is shem. And the Hebrew word for ointment or cologne or perfume is shimen. So he's basically saying a good shem is better than a precious shimen. <laughs> Again, he's not necessarily talking about ointment and spraying stuff on you, but he's, he's talking about that ability to attract others. He's saying that a good name is priceless. And this, this speaks more than just your physical name. It talks about your reputation, your character, the totality of who you are. It's so much more important that your name uh, speaks for something and that you don't have a, a name that's been... Uh, don't you love it when people slander your name? Don't you just love that when that happens? No, most of us don't like that. And if that's ever happened to us, we understand that it can take a long time to try to recoup that and get a better name, right? Solomon is saying that your character, your name, is much more important than even just smelling good. Now, the thought continues. Verse number one, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death, this is, this is where it really gets paradoxical. The day of death, then the day of one's birth. Anybody ever been born? Anybody? All right, we got a few people awake today. Uh, again, you look at this and you're like, what is he saying? He's saying it's better to die than be born? Like that, that doesn't make sense at all. Again, he, he almost sounds like he's going senile, but he's not contrasting birth and death per se. He's not su suggesting that it's better to die than to be born because you can't die unless you've been born, right? <laughs> I think some of us understand that. But listen to what Solomon is saying here. Here's what Solomon is saying. Birth is all about potential. When you're born, we have all of this potential, right? All of this untapped potential. Birth is all about, I don't know what that is, but birth is all about potential. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Birth is all about potential. Don't put up the next one yet. It's all about the potential that we have. The potential that, that, that we think about. You think of a newborn baby and, you, and you're looking at them and, and, and as a parent or grandparent or friend, you have all of these, these dreams and goals for that child, right? You, you can't wait for them to, to grow and develop and mature and, and who knows what could happen with their life. You know, I think of my own kids when, when Logan was born and Nate and Noah have been born and, and just looking at them and seeing all of this potential that they have, and it's a great thing. You know, I, I often have dreams and aspirations for my own kids that they would do certain things. Now, I'm not trying to make them do what I necessarily want them to do, but I have a lot of goals and a lot of dreams that I believe that they can accomplish. And, and I believe that both of them have a lot of potential. I think any parent in here that has ever had a child believes that your child has a lot of potential, right? It's just trying to help unlock that potential. You know, right now I've asked Nate what he wants to be before, and a couple weeks ago he's like, I want to be a pastor. I didn't goad that out of him, but he's like, I want to be a pastor like you. I was like, okay, that's, that's good. Now, Noah, he doesn't understand much yet, but uh, if I were to ask him what he wanted to be, I think it's either going to be a combination of a wrestler or a professional screamer. I'm not really sure which one. <laughs> But I think he would be great at both of those because he's got this killer move. You know, he comes up to you and all of a sudden he like backs up and like sits on you with his legs or anything like that. And anyway, anyway it's completely off topic. But uh, <laughs> Solomon is contrasting two significant days, listen to me, in human experience. He's contrasting the day a person receives his or her name and then the day that that name shows up in the obituary column. And the life lived between those two events 
The life that's lived between the dash, in a sense, will determine whether the name leaves behind a lovely fragrance or a foul stench. Here's what Spurgeon said about this birth, birth verse. He said, death is the end of dying. On the day of a believer's death, dying is forever done with. The saints, those that are children of God, who are with God shall never die anymore. Can't wait for that day. Life is wrestling, he says. It's struggling. But death is the end of conflict. It is rest, victory. So what he's saying here is that birth is all about potential. But listen to me. Here's what he's saying about death. Death is all about fulfillment. It's the fulfillment of life. Now, in our mind, in our understanding, in our limited knowledge as humans, we think that death is very tragic. Now, stay with me. I'm not saying death is not a tragic thing. But in God's eyes, death is not tragic for those that love him, for those that are called, for those that are his saints, for those that are his children. The Bible says in Psalm 116:15, precious in the sight of the Lord are what? The death of his saints. Because death is all about fulfillment, the fulfillment of the life that we have. You see, it's the moment of death where we understand that I've got all that Christ had for me. I want you to listen. I want to unpack something here about death here for just a minute. Death is understanding that I've got all that Christ had for me. I've got all that he wanted me to experience, all that he wanted me to feel and know and do. I'm full. I've got all that he wanted me to eat and to drink of. And so what God does is he pulls us out. And it's difficult for us to grasp this, to comprehend this, because of the curse of sin and how tainted by sin we actually are. We have a difficulty seeing God's goodness. And often we think of death as a tragedy, but friends, if you're a Christian, death is not the greatest enemy. Look, I've lost a child, and I understand this concept. I've experienced this. And I would hate for something to happen to Nate or Noah or my wife. I want them to grow up and I want them to experience life. I want them to get old and grow old with them. I want to be able to do a lot of things with my children. You know, I want to see my kids graduate and get married and have families of their own so that I can start mooching off of them like they've mooched off me. <laughs> That's some of my dreams and aspirations. I want to see those things happen and accomplished. But I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. As much as I want that to happen, as much as I want to see my kids get older, as much as I want to grow old with my wife, you have to understand something. Amanda does not belong to me. My kids don't belong to me. You know who they belong to? My Heavenly Father. And they belong to him much longer than they ever belonged to me. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is very important. This is wise advice. Timely advice. They are nothing but on loan to me. And any other view than that is idolatry. If I think that my wife is mine that my kids are mine and not first and foremost my heavenly fathers, then that is an idolatrous view. You see, everything I have has been given to me 
by my Father. Now listen, when someone dies, it's very easy for us to focus on all that we didn't get to do, right? Has that ever happened? (laughs) It happens with a lot of us. It's very easy to focus on all the things that we didn't get to do. All the things we didn't get to experience, and there's a long list. But what if instead we actually focused on all that we got to do? I read a pastor who tried to put in perspective just how blasphemous we are as human beings. Listen to this. He says, on average, there are 100,000 flights that take off every day. That's a lot of flights around the world. 100,000. Yet no one often ever praises Jesus that they all land. But you watch one fall out of the sky. Watch us shake our fist at God. How dare you, God? How dare you? Take that precious individual. How dare you take the lives of those innocent? You know, on average, 100,000 flights go out across the world on a daily basis. And again, it is significant, but you know, on average, how many crash? Five. Yet how often are we focused on the five instead of the 99,995 that landed. But God, how dare you do what you shouldn't have done? Are we God? No. Because we think things belong to us. On average, we don't thank God for the the plane landing. Now, if you're on the plane, you're, you're thankful for that. More often, what do you focus on? You focus on the crash. We curse the crash, but we fail to praise the landing. And how often do we do the same thing with death? We curse the death, but fail to praise God for the life that was lived. But I don't like that that God took this individual. I don't like it either. But we have to understand that any life that we have with him was just on loan to us from our Heavenly Father. They are not ours. Look, I hated the fact that my son died at four and a half months old, but he was not mine. He was my heavenly father's. And it took me a while to figure that out. But once I figured that out, you know what? My life was more joyful because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I've lost. It's what God gained because he was able to have his son back. Look, in our eyes, death is tragic. It's a tragedy, but death is not the greatest enemy, church. Death death is the fulfillment of what we were created for because we were not created to live a life apart from Jesus, were we? We were created to live a life with Jesus. So death is the fulfillment of that. And if you're a child of God, you get to spend all of eternity with your heavenly father. But in our human eyes and our human understanding, it doesn't make sense. It's tragic. And I I get that. Don't, 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 Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, is realizing this. Hey, death is better than life because death is the real beginning. Does that mean we shouldn't enjoy life? Some of you might be confused right now. It's not what I'm saying. We should live our life to our fullest, to the fullest that God has for us. But life is not the fulfillment. Death is if you're a child of God. And wisdom desires that the celebration of your life be greater than the celebration of your birth. 
Don't you want, when your life is over, to people actually be celebrating the fact that you lived a life on this earth? That you impacted other people for God? You see, that's why a good name is far more valuable than precious ointment, because wisdom sees the end from the beginning. And the first principle is this. Wisdom sees further. The second principle is this. Wisdom thinks deeper. Follow along with me in verses 2 through 10. It is better to go in the house of mourning than to go in the house of feasting. Again, this doesn't make sense. I'd rather feast, (laughs) I'd rather party than go to a house and all they're doing is mourning. But that is the end of all men, and living will lay it to his heart. So here's what he's saying in verse number 2. Mourning is better than feasting. Again, I'll explain all this in just a minute. Look at verse number three. Sorrow is better than laughter. For the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Verse number five. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. So what he's saying is rebuke is better than praise. Again, it doesn't make sense in our eyes, in our understanding. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is laughter of a fool's. This also is vanity. Verse number seven. Surely oppression maketh the wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Verse number nine. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resisteth in the bosom of fools. Here's what he's saying. The long haul is better than the shortcut. And then verse number 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? Isn't it easy to look back and, you know, romanticize the past, how great the past was? Oh, man, the past was so great. But in my own understanding, I've realized the past isn't always as great as we think it to be. But it's very easy for us to look backwards, right? It's always easy for us to to look forward instead of enjoying what's happening today. And what he's saying here in this verse is today is better than yesterday. Now these, these several comparatives are really grouped into two categories. Joy versus pain. You know, on one side we have the day of death, the house of mourning, sorrow, sadness, rebuke. On the other side we have birthdays and feasting and laughter and songs and beginnings and all of those things. You know, if it were up to me, I'd, I'd rather choose birthdays and celebration and laughter than mourning and sorrow and sadness and rebuke and pain. But Solomon is saying the things that we don't think are better are actually better. I don't get it. Look at the end of verse number three. Here's the key. It says the heart is made better. The key to all of this is that the heart is made better. Listen to me. This is very important. Solomon isn't against laughing. He's not against celebrating or having a good time. He's simply contrasting what feels good versus what makes us better. He's contrasting what feels good versus what makes us better. I like to have a good time just as much as the next person But just having a good time and laughing with people doesn't necessarily make me better. Does it? But it makes me feel good. And in life today, it's all about how you feel, right? 
That's what's most important. At least that's what our world says. It's all about how you feel. Who cares if it makes you better? It's all about how you feel. That's why you should go get drunk and, and have, have parties and sex and all that kind of stuff. That's what Solomon was chasing after. He chased after the same things that we chase after today. So go ahead and do what makes you feel good. But is what feels good always what makes you better? No, it's not. You see, here's what we gain from this passage. Everybody wants a better heart. <laughs> but few want to pay the price required to shape a better heart. I want you to think about something. We're going to unlock this question a little bit more tonight in the class. But I want you to think of some defining moments in your life. I asked my staff this question this week, and there was a reason for it. I'm not going to share their answers, but I want you to think about the single most life-changing moment of your life. Now, that question is incomplete. Think about the single most life-changing moment of your life. It could be a lot of things. It could be a very joyful thing. It could be, hopefully, the day you got saved. That was the single most life-changing moment of my life. I think the second one was the day I met my wife and, and ended up getting married. But the question isn't complete, because I want you to think about the single most life-changing moment of your life that caused you to grow and mature more than any other season. And I asked the staff this, I asked uh, Mike and Michael this this week, and, and both their answers were similar. Both their answers had nothing to do with joy and laughter. You know what they had to do with? Hardship. <coughs> right, Mike? Right, Michael? Trials. <coughs> so think about that. Think about that single most defining moment of your life that caused you to grow, to cause you to mature. It probably wasn't during the middle of a party where you're just celebrating and laughing and having a good time. Probably wasn't in the middle of a roller coaster. <laughs> It was probably during the middle of tragedy and trial and suffering and hardship. Again, you, you know my story, and for me, the single most defining moment of my life that caused the most growth was the death of my son. That wasn't a joyful thing. It was a sad thing. It was a difficult thing. See, almost assuredly, we think of a tragic event. We think of a hardship. Now listen to me. Seasons of hardship shape us dramatically. Here's why. Because without God, hardship shapes us in bitterness. But with God, hardship shapes us in his grace. Trials strengthen us like nothing else could. I don't like trials. And honestly, I think you'd have to be clinically insane to just love them. All right, bring it on. But trials are there to mature us, to grow us, to develop us, to cultivate the relationship that we should have with God. And you think about what Solomon is saying here. He's saying suffering leads you to think more deeply <laughs> if you allow God to use those moments to cultivate you. Look, laughter and rejoicing are great, but they don't often get us to think deeper. Here's the key truth. Wisdom causes us to view the down days as developing days. Now, I even think of this year. It's been a rough year for our church. It started out completely on path with what I thought I was going to start out with, and then the year happened. Things messed up in my own life and in the life of the church, and all kinds of things happened. I can have a list of 10 or 15 things that happened this year that I did not expect, I did not anticipate, I did not plan. 
And I'm sure you can have the same list or a similar list in your own life of some things that happened in your life that you didn't plan. But I look back at this year, and the theme of the year was Thrive. And my thought, my goal for that, that theme was completely different than what ended up happening, what God intended it to be. But I realized it was exactly what God wanted us to have. If you didn't learn anything this year, I'm sorry, but I know I learned something. I learned that in order to thrive, sometimes there has to be hardship. Sometimes there has to be trials. Sometimes there has to be difficulty. Because even thinking of my own year and getting meningitis and other things like that, you know, it can cause depression and anxiety and discouragement and all kinds of things. But I think the thing that it caused me to do the most was look up. To realize that I'm not really in control of much at all. But my Heavenly Father is. And if I truly want to be the child that He wants me to be, I have to allow the hardships, the seasons, the difficulty to grow me. And I can look back at this year and I can, I can testify to the fact that I didn't always allow the season to grow me. But I can also look back and look and say that there were times where I did allow the season to, to develop me, to grow me, to mature me, to realize that God has a purpose beyond what I can even see. And here's what Solomon is teaching us. There's a vast difference between enjoying something and valuing something. Valuable things aren't necessarily enjoyable. Light things are rarely life-shaping things. Even think of one of the things that he says here, rebuke better than praise. I rarely enjoy times of rebuke, <laughs> just being honest. I don't even like it when I have to rebuke someone else. People fight against rebuke all the time, but I want you to listen to me. If you have a friend or even a pastor that is willing to hurt you in order to help you, then you're blessed. But if you have a friend that is not willing to hurt you in order to help you, you're not really blessed. And that's what Solomon is saying. Rebuke is better than praise because we all want to be praised, but praise doesn't necessarily help grow us. But in the rebuke, if we have the right attitude, if we have the right heart, that's where we learn. And I, I, I know I preach hard, but the reason I preach hard is because I'm, I'm passionate about what God has given me because I want, I want what's best for you. I want what's best for your individual life. I don't, I don't want you to follow the same path that Solomon followed or the, a path that I've followed at times in my life. I want what is best, and what is best is what God says in his word. And I know sometimes people don't understand that and they think I'm just mean and uncompassionate, unkind. Maybe that's how you perceive me, but that's not the case. It's not truth. I want to challenge you to be better. So what Solomon is saying here is wisdom causes us to think deeper because it's in the moments of sorrow and sadness and mourning that we reflect life and the purpose behind life. It helps us see the brevity of life, how short life is, and how our life should be lived for God every day of our lives. We lost someone dear and close to us this year. 
And the thing that it taught me the most, again, is how short life is and how I need to live every day for God, for his glory. And it's very easy in the, in the immediate moments following death to think like that and to start living like that. But then it's also very easy after weeks pass and months pass to start going back to doing whatever we did before, right? The sorrow, the sadness, the rebuke causes us to think deeper of what's truly important in this life. Look at verse number 11. Let's continue on and close out. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Verse 13, consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. Now we're going to go deeper into this thought tonight in these verses. But here's what Solomon is saying. Here's what I want you to take from this message this morning. The road to wisdom is better because wisdom comes from the hand of God. Look, we all love good times. We're all hoping for good times, for better days. And I'm hoping for that as well. I wish every day was just a sunny day, a bright day. But the reality is, it's not. Some days are gray. Some days are gloomy. But in those moments, it should cause us to look up, look beyond this life to our Heavenly Father and realize that He has something for us. Look, all of these terrible seasons, all they do is highlight the goodness of God. They highlight the wisdom of God. And as a result of these moments, these seasons should cultivate our trust and our dependence. And I think back, even this year in my life, one thing it's done as I look back is it's cultivated even more trust, more reliance, more obedience to God than ever before. Because I realized that I wasn't in control, that my father is in control. My father controls everything, and the sooner we realize that, the more joyful we will be. And we're going to hit more on control next week as we start the year. But so often we cannot let go of control because we have to control everything. The little precursor to the message next week, it is always better when God wins. And the only way God wins, truly wins in our lives, if we give up the reins to our life to him and say, God, this life isn't mine. God, my family isn't mine, it's yours. God, the plans that I have that I laid out, they're not mine, they're yours. So God, whatever you want to do, do it. And that's hard for us to say. That's hard for us to grasp. There's a familiar account of the killing of five young missionaries in the 1950s who tried to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. One of the missionaries that lost his life was Jim Elliott. And when you read stories like this, initially, it's hard to see the goodness of God. 
And for many, this would have driven them away from God instead of towards God. He was left with a wife here on this earth and a family, and, and it would have been very easy for the wife to turn from God, to run from God, to, to hate God, to curse God. But you know what she did? She went back to the very people that killed her husband. And because of that, that village came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it speaks of a testimony of Jim Elliot, something he had in his Bible written. It says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, the season we often wish away, and I've said this before throughout this year, is often the season we get the most from. And I know, I've said it personally in my own life, in my own fighting and struggling with God, that I just wish he would remove the difficulty, the season, the turmoil, the trials, the hardships. But we often learn more in the darkness than we do in the light. Because it's in the darkness where we learn to look towards the light, to trust. Eagle Drive, it's been a challenging year for us. But I stand with what I said at the very beginning of the year as we started out this year. We were made for more than ourselves. You weren't made to go through life in a proverbial rat race. You weren't made to just go through the monotony of life and just, well, whatever happens, happens. You were made for more. You were made to flourish. You were made to thrive. But in order to thrive, we have to learn to value wisdom. We have to learn to value what God teaches us. I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and just die because it's better than being born. But in these moments of hardship and trial and struggle, it causes us to look further, to look beyond the present to look beyond the clouds to Jesus. It causes us to think deeper. And it's hard to flourish, as I've learned this year specifically, without pain. It's hard to flourish without problems and difficulty. But if you want to be who God wants you to be, realize that all those things are for a purpose. Here's the truth as I close. What is enjoyable isn't always valuable. We must learn to value God's wisdom because without God, hardships shape us in bitterness. But with God, hardships shape us in grace. Trials strengthen us like nothing else ever could. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, You're going through life all wrong. You'll never find meaning. You'll never find significance. Maybe it's time today as we close out the year, the last Sunday of the year, to give your life to Jesus Christ. To ask Jesus to save you. Maybe you're here today and you are saved. You're a child of God. I'm not saying this to be crass, but it doesn't really matter what's happened this year. What matters is what you're going to allow God to do with that.
Are you going to allow God to cultivate you, to grow you, to mature you? Are you, becoming, are you going to become bitter? I just wish it was done. I hate this stupid year. I do too. But we need these years. We need these years to grow us, to strengthen us. Because it's in these years where God offers his wisdom. And I want to challenge you to learn to value wisdom. I want to challenge you to be back tonight because there's so much more to talk about. But as we close out this year, I've done this before, but I want to ask you as a church family to come forward and ask God to really get a hold of your heart not just as we close this year, but as we go forward and ask God to teach you what he needs to teach you because no one in here has arrived. I want to challenge you to come forward and, and lay it on the altar and say, God, I, I, I don't know what you're trying to do, but help me to listen. Help me to hear. Help me to value wisdom because your wisdom, even though it doesn't make sense in the world's eyes, is more valuable to me than what's just enjoyable.